Wilson, like a cork in the ocean over his head. Marking contest over the top, Subic's great grab. Across the ground, bam, in comes Donny Wurzlow. Got it out to a oh. kick, kick smothered, check, Hunter. Who would have thought the sequel would be just as good as the original? Kicks inside 50, McGovern, McGovern, what a player. Shank needs to be in perfect the the premiers of 1992. The 1994 We've got new fixtures to discuss. We'll take you through a suddenly very significant injury list. And of course, we are previewing this Sunday's clash between the West Coast Eagles and GWS Giants. I'm your host, Honey Badger 35 and joining me this week is Miguel Sanchez. Miguel, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, um, seven straight wins. Yeah, nice time to be a footy fan. I saw a stat in the week from the ever-reliable Sir Swamp thing that 40% of all premierships have been won by the team with the longest winning streak in the league that year. So we obviously did it in 2018. Richmond did it in 2019. We're going for eight straight. We're kind of going for a flag this week, if, if stats are to be believed. So we will crack on to the GWS game in a moment. We'll get stuck into the Hawks game as well very, very shortly. But Miguel, just off the top, the usual plugs, the usual promos, this week with a bit of a twist We've obviously got a bit of a footy frenzy coming up. The Eagles are going to be playing five games in 19 days or or similar enough to that when the final fixture is revealed. So with that, the podcast over the next couple of weeks is going to take a slightly different look. We're going to try and still do an episode per game. It might be a bit of a shorter one, but... You know, the Eagles are playing on a lot of four-day breaks, so you might be getting a lot of content coming your way in the next few weeks. But on top of that, we're also exploring the idea of doing a live commentary. So the way that would work would be you just go onto a website, you click a link or you follow through from our social media and you'd listen to myself, you'd listen, Miguel, probably to yourself as well, calling the Eagles-Richmond game, let's say, on Thursday night, a bit of, a, a bit of an Eagles-focused live chat. If you're sick of Bruce, if you're sick of BT, if you're sick of Eddie, all of the, all of the bullshit that comes with the typical Fox footy Channel 7 chat, well, hey, why don't you listen to us? We'll, uh, we'll have a bit of an Eagles focus on it and probably call it the way that an Eagles fan would like to hear the game. So if there is an interest in that, absolutely please let us know because we're sort of on the fence at the moment as to whether we fully commit to it or not but if you are interested in it please get in contact with us on twitter facebook big footy any of that and just let us know yes i would be interested in listening to that because miguel there is a good chance that uh you and i make our commentary debuts next week yeah part of this footy frenzy is games on weeknights and don't know about you but i don't have much going on so uh if i'm yeah sitting on my couch uh talking to myself and commenting on the game. Be nice to have other people forced to listen. West Coast Eagles, 12 goals, 9, 81, defeated Hawthorne, 7, 7, 49. Miguel, it's become a bit of a theme, but the Eagles got off to another great start, or rather they had that strong scoring run, which we've seen throughout the season, a 28-0 run to start the game. They had a 24-4 run in the game as well. Yet again, the Eagles play a short burst of footy, the opposition can't go with it, and they run out relatively comfortable winners. What was your take on the Round 12 clash? Yeah, it was a bit of a funny start. Our, our starts to games have been a little bit flat lately since we've been home. 
probably even longer than that. And you know, even though we were pretty comfortable on the scoreboard for pretty much the whole game uh, on the weekend, early on it seemed like there was a lot of sort of you know, battening down the hatches in defence. And I think in the first quarter there was 15 Hawthorne inside 50s and they hadn't scored. So uh, we weren't dominating so much, but our defence was just holding up you know, really, really well. And Barras and McGovern and, and even Rotham were sort of marking everything that came in and, and Hawthorne just couldn't score. They allowed us to weather that tide from Hawthorne to start with. And then, uh, you know, eventually we uh, we started getting on top more around the ground. And um, you know, when we started winning the territory battle, Hawthorne defenders weren't able to, to do the same job. And you know, they weren't able to shut down. Kennedy Ryan had just about his best game for the season, I think. And he's he's had a few good games, but yeah, he was marking everything and he was creating goals further up the ground. I thought that was one of his best games. And, um, yeah, we had uh, some other winners around the ground. Um, Brander, I thought, had a pretty good game coming in as as the uh, late inclusion and, and going back to that role he's played on a wing. The rest of the midfield, a little bit quiet. Didn't seem uh, – Gaff got a lot of it, but didn't seem to have a huge impact and, and none of the others. A lot of those – a lot of those hooks as well from Gaff. A lot of those yeah. around the corner kicks creeping back into his game, which he he'd done well to eliminate, I, I suppose, for most of the season. But they were back in a big way. Yeah, there was a lot of them. And you know, apart from him, Kelly was quiet. And I was meaning to go back and watch the replay to see if you know, Shields was tagging him or something. But he seemed quiet. Shuey was reasonably quiet. Redden got injured. And so... Uh, despite winning quite comfortably, it was our defenders early and then probably our forwards. Uh, and, of course, Nat Nui, who I think set a, a season high for uh, hit-outs to advantage that were the real um, uh, real drivers of that win. And um, yeah, midfield was down a bit, and uh, they're going to be down a bit on numbers. So that's just a bit of a concern going forward. But, yeah, otherwise, did what we needed to do. We've um, we've boosted our percentage a bit and uh, yeah, primed for one more game at home and then back off to the hub. Yeah, that, that sentiment of did what we have to do is a pretty strong one. We'll, we'll crack into some three-word reviews. Uh, thank you to those people who've sent them through on Twitter, at WCEBFpod. Eagles cruise home, and, and that's sort of the vibe that we're getting throughout most of these. You've got cruise control on, the complete package, welcome home, Gov, September starting early, and a bit of a controversial one here, Braden Ainsworth out. We will get back into some Ainsworth discussion just in a little bit, but Miguel, that vibe was that it was very much a, a workmanlike, not a, not a 10 out of 10, but did what we had to do, sort of cruised through the game, and more or less that 28-0 to 0 start basically killed the game. It's a Hawks side that are only scoring about 50 points per game. So you start up 28-0, to zero, you're almost halfway home there, to be honest, and, uh, and so it proved. Miguel, a tough one to really draw too much out of, I think. A lot of the patterns that we saw in that game, we've seen, we've discussed before. So this week I thought maybe we'd look a little bit more individually focused and go through some players' games, some of these guys that are on the fringes, some of the late inclusions, and, and guys that perhaps we haven't seen a lot from this year or perhaps we haven't seen the best from this year. You touched on him before, but let's start with Jared Brander. He was a very, very late inclusion for Elliot Yo. Plenty of rumours in the week of a groin issue, and that came to pass as well. So Yo out, Brander in. For myself, Miguel, I felt that it was his best game of the season and, and indeed of his career, to be honest. It's his first game in front of a home crowd. The crowd were really behind him, particularly late. That, uh, that fourth quarter turn and, and entry inside 50 was perfect. And I think that is the best glimpse of what he can do and how clean he can be a little moment like that is all it takes to sort of swing me back around to thinking, all right, maybe they're onto something. 
maybe he can play around the footy a little bit more than being that traditional key target. What, what was your take on Jared Brander's game? Yeah, particularly that moment you hit on it, and to do that for you know a six foot five guy in the wet, and then you know, turn around, turn his opponent inside out, and then um, hit up. I can't remember who he hit up, whether it was Cripps or someone, but it led to Reed's goal in the end. And yeah, that was just yeah, I, I was the same as you. I saw that and thought, well, right, that's what the club sees in him. But his fourth quarter, I thought was was particularly good, you know, given that he seemed to improve when the rain came. So yeah, he he has had a few good games. I thought he was. It was starting to show why we have put so much time and effort into him in Queensland before he got injured. Uh, He he came out of the side and with supposedly a hip injury and um, then hasn't been able to get into it until, get back into it until until now. Um, But yes, certainly showing signs. And with the, uh, some of the injuries that we've got, he'll probably now get an extended run at it, which is good. Yeah, I'm quite pleased for that as well. You, You touched on it there. I think he was building into something, not, Great, not elite, but he was showing signs throughout that Brisbane game and the Port Adelaide game. Yeah. Well, I just remember um, that when you said, I think that's the best game he's played for us. So I'm sure I remember you saying that before. I, I think I said it at the Brisbane game and then at the Port Adelaide game the following week. I think, yeah, yeah he, so he's definitely building. He is, and he had that injury, and it was sort of one where, was it an injury? Was he dropped and sort of, you know, did they cover it a little bit? But it certainly, it was a change that came at a time where the Eagles needed to make changes and couldn't really afford any passengers or, or sort of, you know, middle-of-the-road performances. We were under the pump after that Port game. So I understand why he's not featured, but I'm definitely glad to see him back and, and see him hopefully getting an extended shot in the side. Another guy, similar age and similarly, you know, is he a key position? Is he sort of a flanker? What, what do we make of him? Is Josh Rotham because he's a guy that's come in this year Played a couple of games in a row now. He sort of gets dropped in and out as the injuries crop up, but he's never really been able to lock down a spot for himself, purely due to how talented the back line is. But Josh Rotham, another terrific game. Two great games in a row. He was really good against Collingwood uh, a couple of weeks ago as well. This is a bloke that's staying in the team for one reason or another, but he's really giving the coaches no reason whatsoever to not select him next week. What did you make of Rotham's game? Yeah, he's. Uh, I praised the defence um, earlier, and, and he's really been a big part of that. Yeah, he's in at the moment. I think he got in when McGovern was injured and sort of held his spot because Duggan went out with hamstring soreness. That defence is just, it's working really well at the moment. And whoever comes out of it, you know, if if Duggan's to come in, whoever comes out is going to be really unlucky. And that includes him. You sort of think he's his last one in, first one out. But yeah, he's, he's come in, he's doing a job. Um, he's allowing sort of Shepard to maybe play on smaller players, whereas Shep's had to punch above his weight a bit. And I think he'll be really important coming up against the Giants because they do play a bit of a tall forward line. Uh, and Shepard will probably be needed to play on Toby Green if he plays. So I think Rotham, having Rotham in there along with uh, McGovern and, and Barras will allow Shep to do that and, and allow us to continue to match up against the Giants uh, tall forwards. So, yeah, he, he's been really important. Um, he sort of had to had to fight for his roles, but that back line's been pretty tough to break into and uh, he's managed to do that and he's he's holding his own. So yeah, that bodes really well. Moving along in the player-by-player look and we're going to swing it up forward now. The forward line, Miguel, I thought had a really nice game. Kennedy sort of in bursts, but that's all he needs to do. They were, he was marking everything. Ryan was marking everything. His best game of the season for sure. Darling worked into it really nicely. So we have started to see a little bit more out of the forward line in the last couple of weeks, certainly with the talls and, and now perhaps with the smalls. One of those smalls, one of those mid-sized players making the debut is Nick Reed. It's obviously a fantastic story. There was a bit of trepidation, I suppose, amongst some Eagles fans on Big Footy in that 
once you're getting down to these rookie listed sort of guys, it's obviously, you know, not ideal to, to have to perhaps go that deep into your list. So we didn't really know what to expect from Reed, but he gave us a great chase down tackle very early on. So that was awesome to see. He got the goal. He probably could have had two uh, and, and pretty present around the ball. Only a couple of tackles, but decent pressure. And he, for a guy, he only played 65% of the game. So he wasn't out there too much. I think he, he did enough to catch the eye. There, there's something there, I think, for Nick Reid. Yeah, definitely. And you know, we're not relying on him to come in and kick two goals a game, really. You know, he's coming. He's basically replaced Cameron, who was you know, being very quiet and getting five or six touches and you know, maybe a goal every two weeks, but just providing that defensive pressure. Uh, and you know, before that, it was Jermaine Jones doing the same job uh, before he got injured. So you know, there's a role there for those sort of you know, specialist pressure forward guys to just come in and you know, make sure sit at the feet of the big guys and, you know, if the ball is brought to ground by the, the opposition defenders, then, you know, make sure it gets locked in and continue to uh, remain in our forward half and, and give us scoring opportunities and, and get repeat entries. So, um, yeah, he, he's certainly shown he's able to play that role. Uh, we, we, yeah, we're not going to require him to uh, get up and down the ground and, and get 15 touches and a couple of goals or anything like that. But, yeah, certainly the role that we're asking him to do, he, he seems very capable of. Now, Lastly, I hinted at it just a moment ago, but let's talk about Braden Ainsworth because that has been the big talking point, certainly on the Eagles board, on Big Footy, and, and it seems to be throughout a couple of the social media, Eagles sites, Eagles fans, all this sort of business. So we'll talk about Braden Ainsworth's game. A tough game, I think, to say the least. He's been a guy that has been in and out of the side. He came in, he got a month of footy and then uh, dropped for form, basically. But he's come back in this week due to a couple of changes his role has changed, in my opinion, a fair bit over the last month or so. First, he was playing that defensive winger. Then he's been asked to sort of fill a half-forward role, which isn't quite right, and it kind of goes against our philosophy of putting players in their correct role. So he hasn't really impressed. I was willing to give him a bit of a long leash and, and you know let him settle in, let him show off what he can do. But Miguel, for myself, I'm, I'm at the point where I'm, I'm kind of done with Brandon Ainsworth. Not forever, but if we're at the point where we need to replace an injured player... There's got to be other people that get an opportunity before Ainsworth for me. He's he's had nine clangers on the year from 46 disposals. So basically one in five is a clanger. The skills are a bit of a trouble. We've always talked about that difficult ball drop. It's it's quite a uh, quite a tough one to watch that ball drop. But yeah, it doesn't seem to be too quick. He doesn't seem to be too contested. He doesn't seem to have the elite foot skill. I don't quite see where Ainsworth fits in at the moment, unfortunately. Yeah, and he, you brought up his, uh, his clanger his clang account there. The other thing I've noticed is, you know, he, he tends to take too long to decide what to do with the ball. Uh, and, you know, he's been run down a few times and he's, I think at the Geelong game, he tried, he went the fend off on Dangerfield and, you know, you've got to, got to know your limits and you know, at his size and age, he's not going to get away with that. Uh, and he didn't. So just those sort of mistakes in decision-making, taking the, taking too much time to make the decisions and they're yeah, not necessarily making the right decision. So yeah, it's frustrating. Uh, on the one hand, you want to sort of uh, give a young player time and uh, allow him to build up his confidence and get up to the speed of AFL. But yeah, at some point you've got to go, no, this isn't working. We'll park you for a bit and give someone else a try. And yeah, so that, I think I agree with probably the majority of commenters on the board and uh, Twitter and Facebook. And yeah, it's probably time for Ainsworth to uh, to drop back and allow someone like uh, Xavier O'Neill to have a go. Now we will get into the ins and outs towards the end of the pod when we talk GWS, but one thing that I did notice at the game was that towards the end of the game, Ainsworth was getting a bit of time at the coalface, at the centre ball-ups, and really involved in that midfield unit rather than off that half-forward line. So pre-game, 
He warmed up with the forwards. He was nominally a half-forward flanker. And towards the end of the game, after Redden left, he spent a bit of time in the middle. He got a ruck tap. He even got a bit of a clearance. It was an awkward one, but you know, he, that's where they threw him on the ball. So perhaps, Miguel, we will see the coaching staff stick with that. We do have some injuries in the middle, and we will get into that GWS clash later on. But yeah, something to keep in mind this week, and, and certainly something to keep in mind just for a little bit later on. Beyond that, Miguel, it was a fairly cut-and-dry game. The Eagles had a talent gap against the Hawks. We, we were better. We played better. We didn't play our best, but we did enough. Is there anything else from yourself that you'd like to unpack from that Hawks game? Not really. I guess um, we've probably talked in the past about Cole and Nelson uh, and Duggan when he plays and, and how well they've gone. Um, but uh, that, I think both of them had, had pretty decent games. Yeah. Probably Nelson's best game by foot on the weekend as well. And uh, you can always tell that somebody's coming good because, one, they put him up for press conference this week, which was great to see. And, two, some of the Facebook comments are starting to fall away Drop Nelson is not as prevalent as it was a month ago. And, uh, yeah, it's a slow wheel. It it turns very slowly, but it is starting to turn for Jackson Nelson, which is great to see. (laughs) Moving on with the show, we have plenty of news to discuss this week from a couple of different spheres. We'll start with some state government news, which I know is what you're all here and eager to listen to in your footy podcasts. But, Miguel, we've had the announcement WA is keeping the current restrictions for the foreseeable future. Optus Stadium will stay at 30,000 capacity until at least October 24. Now, that's an interesting date, Miguel, because that is one of the dates that the AFL have sort of earmarked as a potential grand final date. Should there be a pre-finals buy, that is when the grand final will fall. Now, we've seen the Eagles say that they're happy to hub in WA. They're happy to sort of go into a hotel quarantine if that allows them to play home finals. We can still get 30K. That's still a better offer than most of the other stadiums in the country. Optus Stadium, state-of-the-art, great facilities, keen fan base. The Eagles are happy to make it work. And yet we still technically could have 60K on grand final day. We're being governed. Here, we're being guided here by the government policy, I suppose. We have to sort of react to what the government put out. They're obviously not putting footy first, which is fair enough when you consider it. But what do you make of this announcement? And basically, what do we read into them setting that date do you think that's a bit of a challenge to the AFL or a bit of a bit of a sort of alerting the AFL hey we're still happy to do this on that date or do you think it's just purely a coincidence purely a coincidence yeah at the risk of pouring cold water over the the whole theory you were building up just then no I think they've sort of that um relaxation from is it stage four to stage five when they're basically open everything up they've pushed probably four times already they sort of push it back two weeks every time and I think this time they've just gone bugger it and pushed it back eight weeks. It was going to be August 29th. So he pushed it back eight weeks to October 24th, and, and that's sort of where they've ended up. I, I don't think it's got anything to do with the AFL Grand Final and everything coming out of McGowan's mouth. Uh, and I don't, I don't think his sports minister has even sort of weighed in on the topic, but everything from McGowan is uh, the AFL can come to us if they want to hold the Grand Final here, but we're basically not going to give a shit. So... No, I don't think it's got anything to do with that. And uh, yeah, as good as it would be to see a grand final at Optus, um, I don't. There's no real appetite from WA government to make that happen. And uh, I think the AFL will be pretty keen to look elsewhere. So yeah, disappointing, but yeah, that's the breaks, I suppose. Now we've talked in the past about the potential for Queensland to host all of the finals, a bit of a finals hub for the whole competition to move into. 
We have seen that. We will get onto the fixtures shortly with how the remainder of the season looks as well. What they will be doing largely a Queensland hub for almost all of the all of the league. But as it relates to finals and the concept of home finals, the Eagles have said they're happy to do a bit of a quarantine if it helps grease the wheels of that one. Adelaide are playing fly-in, fly-out football. Of course, Victoria is off limits, so all the Queensland clubs, all the Victorian clubs, they will all be based in Queensland for the finals, you'd presume. But Miguel, do you have any hopes that the Eagles could play at Optus again after this Sunday, or do you think that potentially this is our last game in Perth? Potentially it is. Yeah, I wouldn't be ruling out possibility of holding the first three weeks of finals here. You know, if the Eagles qualify to, to host those, uh, they get the opportunity to host them here. Um, you know, if by then all eight clubs are based in Queensland, then there would be an attraction for the AFL, I think, to you know just to put the uh, put the games in Queensland and, and not make people fly across the country. Uh, and stay in quarantine, but you know if the Eagles put up their hands and say we've earned the right to host a uh, you know, host a semi final or host a, a qualifying final if we, if we manage to finish top two, um, we want to host it at Optus. We're prepared to go and stay at Up Resort or Crown Towers or wherever and make that happen. And um, you know our opponents can do the same thing. We'll be in the same boat. We'll have all the same restrictions on us, and you know you'll get you know thirty thousand people through the door, and uh, as well as that, they'll avoid a little bit of wear and tear on the Gabba and, and Metricon, which are looking pretty tired at the moment. So it could be pretty attractive to them. So you know, if the club wants to do that, and I'm sure they'd much prefer to to do that than to remain in Queensland uh, full time from now until October 24. So yeah. Definitely a possibility, and I, I think the government. I think that would come within the government's restrictions that they've already put in place. So, really looking at it, there's no real reason why that shouldn't happen. Now, you touched on it there. The Eagles are heading across to Queensland from this Sunday. Really, this is the last game at Optus for the home and away season that we can tell. We know this because we've got the remainder of the fixture all but locked away. It came through earlier on last week. It's a little bit of old news, but still worth unpacking, Miguel. And the fixtures are coming thick and fast for the West Coast Eagles. We obviously had our buy that they've sort of manufactured in the fixture this year. We've already had that. We've had a fairly normal season thus far in terms of a week between games and pretty much how it would regularly look. <laughs> Sorry, just the, the concept of anything in 2020 being a normal season. Yeah, no, it's just It's your typical normal season where the Eagles play, what, six, seven, eight games in a row at Optus. Just one of those seasons, you know, yeah. every, every every year. But yes, we do move across to Queensland and it all starts the following Thursday against Richmond. So we play GWS on Sunday, then we head off on a four-day break with travel. Not great, but we play Richmond at Metricon on the Thursday. We follow that up on Tuesday against Essendon at the Gabba. Sunday at Metricon against the Dogs. Thursday at the Gabba against St Kilda. And then the final fixture hasn't been released yet, but that'll be the following week. We play against North Melbourne. It won't be in Tasmania because Tassie are keeping their borders shut. But beyond that, we don't really know where it's going to be. Most likely Queensland, you'd have to say. Miguel, it's uh, it's the pointy end of the season for the Eagles this run because we saw them struggle in Queensland. And now on top of that, they're going to be playing effectively once every four days, once every three and a half days. It's... Uh, it is really time for them to get serious and deliver in this latest Queensland hub. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. Um, we knew that you know, with the way that the AFL scheduled that first footy frenzy or, or fiesta or footy festival, whatever it was called, that you know, we'd, we'd got the easy side of it. And uh, for the, the second one that came around, we were going to get it tough. It went just about as bad as it could have done, I think, with the you know very, very short breaks one after the other. Not a lot of... Uh, uh, help with the, the teams that we were scheduled to play. You know, North Melbourne is probably the easiest one of those 
games on paper and we don't get them until the very end. Um, all the games are at, you know, in Queensland at night, which hasn't been good for us, but tough luck. We're just going to have to deal with it. So um, it's going to really test our um, our squad and the, the depth of our squad with the injuries that we've got uh, coming through at the moment, but we're just going to have to deal with it. Moving on to those injuries, beautiful segue, Miguel, because the squad is going to be tested for a number of reasons. One, fixtures. Two, the injuries are now coming in for the Eagles. We've had a pretty blessed run this year, it must be said, from both a fixturing perspective and an injury perspective. And now the footy gods are starting to catch up with us. Some teams get all the luck, mate, because you look at our injury list now, it is longer than it's been all season. Liam Duggan, hamstring test. We'll start there because he obviously came out against the Hawks, but he seems to be set to come back in. And then you also look at another test, Mark Hutchings with the toe. Duggan, you expecting to come back in this week, Miguel? And Hutchings, he seems to be relatively healthy, albeit he's been battling injuries on and off all year. Is there a chance that perhaps he is a test in the AFL this week or is it more reserves footy for him? The difficulty for him is he hasn't played a hell of a lot. He's played a couple of scratch matches since they got back from Perth. I don't think he played any. He might have played one in Queensland, but he's really starved for footy. Uh, he had, I think, a knee issue um, beforehand. He came back, he played one or two uh, scratch matches here and then he got a cut on his toe, which um, you know, it doesn't sound like it should prevent you playing footy, but must have been a big cut. And so, yeah, he didn't play on the weekend. So it would be a yeah, big ask for him to come in uh, and, and uh, play midfield, even on the reduced minutes um, against against GWS. But yeah, if there is a if there is a practice match this week, then he could play that and possibly come in the week after, I think. Uh, yeah, we've got to replace Redden this week, but I I don't think I'd be bringing Hutchings in uh, off the, the limited preparation that he's had for this game. I think Hutchings listed as a test is still a positive because, as you, as you mentioned, we're going to need to go a little bit further down the squad depth. Hutchings is a guy that, at his best and in the past, has been best 22. So to have him available really for the first time all year uh, throughout that Queensland hub, throughout that compressed schedule, that could be a real asset to the club. So fingers crossed that he can get playing some sort of footy in some capacity and get the tank up over this week and then moving into Queensland. Running through the rest of a very long injury list for the Eagles, Jermaine Jones done for the season uh, with the hamstring. That, of course, came through last week. Mitch O'Neill, six weeks with a back injury. That's basically season, though he wasn't really set to figure. Uh, Jack Petricelli, hamstring, three to four weeks. Miguel, this is a tough one because it, three to four weeks is very well season, or certainly into finals, and he'd be hard-pressed to crack a finals squad without much preparation and without much fitness coming in beforehand. So tough one for Petricelli. Redden, we will get on to later in the GWS game, one to two weeks with an adductor injury late in the Hawks game. Uh, will Schofield, an elbow, two to three weeks. This one cropped up out of the blue. Similarly, Nathan Vardy, a thigh issue. Now, uh, five to six weeks, it's pretty much season done. This sounds like it's actually quite serious and quite scary. So uh, opens the door a little bit for Bailey Williams, opens the door for Tom Hickey perhaps as well. But Nathan Vardy seems more or less done for the year, as is Dan Venables, as is Frankie Watson. And then the other two that came through this week, Jake Waterman, two to three weeks with a hand issue, and Elliot Yo with a groin, two to three weeks. Miguel, this one is major. He was a late out against the Hawks. There were rumours of OP. There were rumours of any sorts of gro- uh, number of groin injuries. They've all but been confirmed by the club. Two to three weeks for Elliot Yo. His home and away season might be done. Yeah, officially two to three weeks. I think uh, Simo was a little bit more pessimistic than that when it was brought up uh, in his post-match presser. Yeah, OP, I'm not a doctor. I know that'll surprise you, but um, OP 
can apparently mean a range of things. Uh, it could be just the you know the the grumbly groin that they talk about, or it could be you know season ending. And I, th- I think Cameron was battling it earlier in the year and basically you know, didn't play for the first uh, month after the restart. So yeah, um, it's difficult for Yo uh, and difficult for the club to manage. You know, we we really need him in there, but we we don't need him in there hampered, and we don't need to. Uh, make it worse and, and do what we did to Judd in 2007, which I've seen other people bring up where you know, we played him injured and he, uh, he was less useful than uh, something very useless. And um, <laughs> I was going to say something politically incorrect and I uh, stopped myself. Um, very good. And uh, yeah, and he was never really the same player. So yeah, we certainly don't need to hamper Yo as, um, as tempting as it is to try and push him back out there. So yeah, he needs to take the time to get it right. But, we're really going to miss him. Just with Vardy, yeah, I saw him. Um, I went along to the that scratch match and saw him sort of walk off pretty dejected. And uh, it's sad for him because that's probably I don't know if he's out of contract, but that's the last we'll uh, last we'll see of him this year. I think he was already I think sort of fifth in line in the ruck behind. You know, they've been going with Nat Nui and and Allen as their preferred lineup at the moment. Hickey's probably first in line in my mind at least to replace Nat Nui if he needs a break for any reason. Williams is probably first in line to replace Allen as that in that backup role, and then Vardy was sort of behind all of those guys, I think. So we were unlikely to see him really, but yeah, really disappointing for him that, that it's yeah, it's the season at least has probably ended the way it has. Main event time now, and it is round 13. The West Coast Eagles host the GWS Giants Sunday, 10 past 4 p.m. Uh, should be another fine day, Miguel. We've had a few threats of rain and of, of storms and all of that business over the last couple of weeks. They haven't really materialised, and this week the forecast is much more promising, so a nice day for it. GWS have never won at Optus. The Eagles are going for eight in a row. The Giants on paper are always a bit of a, a bit of a danger, but you look at their season this year, very up and down, quite disappointing. One of the bigger disappointments of the season, I would think, from the footy community's perspective. So... Miguel, we'll start by naming our team to face a Giants side that you never really know what you're going to get. So who's coming in for the Eagles and who is going out after our seventh consecutive victory? Uh, well, the obvious one to come in is Duggan. Um, but as I said earlier, uh, difficult to work out who comes out for him. The the seven-man backline that we ran on the weekend, there is none of those seven that deserve to get dropped. Uh, so whoever does come out will be very unlucky. You know, so you could look at, well, we should note, I suppose, that. Um, Shepard trained with massive bandage on or something and has a cork, so possibly he's in doubt, which would be really bad to miss him, but at least it would make that decision easier. Assuming he plays, then you're looking at, you know, is this a good opportunity to maybe give Hearn a rest and freshen him up ahead of the the Queensland fixture crunch? Otherwise, maybe pushing someone like a Nelson up the ground, you know, as as good as he's been uh, in the back line. Maybe he's the one to go up the ground and maybe play that role that Ainsworth's been playing or maybe going to the middle and, and do a job on Lockie Whitfield or someone. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. That's a real difficult one. I'll say for my changes, I'll say we'll give Hearn a rest. He's, I think, our oldest player. He's you know, coming up for the, the club record. Um, he's going. He looked pretty tired earlier in the season. He, he's looking a bit more refreshed now, but we'll uh, yeah, just take this opportunity to freshen him up a bit. So bring Duggan in for Hearn. Uh, the other replacement, obviously, is um, you know, we need to we need to replace Redden. Xavier O'Neill, I think, would be the would be my choice to come in. That leaves the question: what you do with Ainsworth? Uh, and as much as people want him dropped, 
I think maybe just for a lack of any other options, really, maybe go the other way, um, put him in the midfield a bit more. As you said, he uh, he did look all right in that final quarter when he was uh, getting time in the guts and can get first hands on the ball. So, yeah, maybe he plays more of an inside role uh, this week in the absence of Redden and in the absence of Yo. Uh, and then O'Neill, probably the next guy to come in and play that sort of half-forward slash chopping out a bit of the midfield role that, that Ainsworth played on the weekend. So yeah, people are going to be unhappy with that to uh, to have Ainsworth still in the team. But really, unless we start shifting guys from the back line, which is an option, then uh, other than that, there's uh, there's not much other choice. There's really very few people left. It is a tough one because we saw the midfield mix really come into its own when Shuey was out earlier in the year. So we're able to play a mid-down. Now you're looking at two mids down with Redden and Yo both set to miss. So is it the sort of thing where you can just say, well, Brander can play 85, 90% of the game on that wing and, and we can kind of get away with just using Shuey and Sheed, these sorts of guys, Gaff on the other wing, you know. Are there enough numbers there that we can make something happen or, or do we need to make another change? For myself, I am dropping Ainsworth. Uh, I, I am braced for the club to not do it. As we've been discussing, they did throw him in and I think maybe that was a bit of a test. You know, They, they knew Redden was going to miss, so they thought, let's see what we've got in Ainsworth and, and make our decision based off that fourth quarter. But I am braced for him to stay in. If it were up to me, he wouldn't, and I would bring in Xavier O'Neill, like you said. Another debut, it's always good. I think it's quite telling that we're not clamouring to drop guys like Nick Reid because... You know, maybe he didn't set the world on fire, but we don't really have a ton of options at the moment. And I think the midfield is the more pressing concern. So uh, let's let's try and sort the mids out and get some experienced bodies in there. We'll, we'll do Exxon for Ainsworth and then Duggan in for Red. And it throws off the balance a bit, but I agree with you. We've seen Nelson go up the ground and play off a flank. We've seen him spend a little bit of time further up the ground, sort of tagging and, and playing at the contest. Duggan as well. So I think we can get away with the Duggan for Red and change. We'll make an awkward change on the half-forward line and put in Exxon for Ainsworth and then back in that group of, of your Branders and your Kellys and your Shoeys and your Sheeds and your Gaffs to really carry the midfield in absence of any other option, really. Now, if we swing it across to GWS, Miguel, they have some massive ins. Like I said, great side on paper, up and down this year, but you only have to look at the fact that Toby Green is set to return, Mumford, Phil Davis, uh, Daniel Lloyd, who's played a lot of footy for them as well this year, set to return. They're an awkward one to pick because if you look at it, you say that is a side that is going to threaten any team on any day. And yet over their last couple of weeks, they've only been scoring about 53 points per game. Eagles are averaging 79.5 points per game in Perth. GWS over their last six weeks can only score 53 a game. You look at the stats, it looks open and shut. You look at the lists, it looks like a potential grand final preview. So what what do we get into with this GWS side? Uh, Most dangerous thing, I think, for me is that they've had I think they played Thursday night against Sydney in the Derby, which they call it wrongly. So they've had they'll have had sort of eight or nine days of pretty negative publicity. Um, they'll have that performance or lack thereof, you know, stewing in their brain. Uh, it's a lot of time to think about it. I think they'll they'll come out absolutely snarling as well. The, the stakes for them are quite high. This is pretty much a, an elimination final for them. If they lose this, that's probably the end of their season. So, yeah, they, they're going to be very dangerous. That's what I'm most worried about. Yeah, certainly they've got some guys coming back in as well. Toby Green is very dangerous, and, and I think they're a, they're a much different team with him in there. Um, Phil Davis is a good matchup probably for Kennedy. Uh, he allows Core to maybe get the, the second defend, the second best forward, although in our case that's Darling, so it's not a huge drop-off. 
so yeah, the, they match up with us really well. Um, they're going to be really desperate to win. Uh, it's it's certainly not going to be an easy game by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, Mumford as well, I suppose, uh, is he's retired twice. I think um, he's, just, <laughs> he's still going. Uh, he's never been the most uh, athletic guy going around, but he is quite physical. I uh, can probably match it with Nick Nat around the ground. We'll just try and run into him and, and rough him up a bit because uh, you know, he's not going to be able to go with him early, but uh, certainly can try and um, use all the tricks of the trade to prevent him from jumping at the, the boundary throw-ins particularly and, and ball-ups around the ground. So, yeah, that'll be a challenge as well, assuming he comes in for Jacobs. Neither of those guys have been great this year. But, yeah, Mumford, I think, physically will be a, a more more of a challenge for Nick Nat. Yeah, just around the ground. So, yeah, that's another thing to watch. You look at their statistical profile this year, the Giants, and as I said, it just doesn't match with what you see on their list, what you see on paper. But their bottom four in hitouts against, they concede a ton of hitouts, which speaks to what you just said there uh, about about their ruck core and, and about Nat Nui potentially going to have the goods at, at the hitouts there at the stoppages. Their bottom four in clearances against, in inside 50s against. They don't get a lot of inside 50s themselves, third fewest in the league. So, on paper, it looks like the sort of matchup that the Eagles could exploit, but our midfield is depleted at just the wrong time to play a, a really talented midfield on paper. And uh, we saw Nat Nui in some great form. Hey, Miguel, he even took a mark. How do you like that? Put him in the All-Australian side. But the midfield will go a long way to deciding this one. Let's say the Giants beat the midfield and they get it inside 50. You touched on it there. There's a couple of key matchups inside the Giants 50. We will start with Toby Green, potentially the best small forward in footy. You'd probably put him in a top three of Toby Green himself, Charlie Cameron, and then perhaps Tom Papley. I think that's fair to say. So let's take a look at how the Eagles have done against those guys this season. Charlie Cameron, five touches. He kicked a goal, and it was the dodgiest goal you'll ever see. There was a deliberate call, and Charlie Cameron came from about 300 metres away to take the footy and snap it through. So he shouldn't have even had a goal. We did held him quiet. Gibbons, did he? Yeah, he pulled the old Mickey Gibbons. G'day, Gibbo, if you're listening. He, uh, he just nicked off and let... Uh, let Nunes kick the goal. We, we maybe will get onto that later because that was pretty good as well. Uh, Tom Papley as well, 15 touches. He got more of the footy, but also only one goal when we played the Swans. It was the final goal of the game, completely irrelevant. Uh, Shepard has done a nice job on them. Cole did a really nice job on Papley as well. He spent a bit of time there. So we've seen the Eagles have success against the elite small forwards in the comp. Do you envisage it just being Shep and Green? Is it going to be a collective effort? How do we try and slow down... This guy, who's a bit of a nuisance, but tell you what, he's very, very talented. I think Shep will have him for the most part. Um, you know, the way rotations are going, Cole will probably have to, to spend some time on him and, and Nelson if he's still in the back line. Maybe him as well, but yeah, I think it'll mostly be Shep. Uh, we've relied on him really to do big jobs against uh, against the opposition's sort of one of their most dangerous, if not their most dangerous forward, apart from the real gorillas like Tom Hawkins. Uh, you know, Shep's been good at playing on tools and smalls and yeah I think he's uh he's the perfect matchup for Green. And talking about those big bodied forwards, Jeremy Cameron is going to be a very, very key focal point of the Giants attack. Tom Barras playing one of his best games of the season and I don't think it's any coincidence that when McGovern is back in, Barras can sort of revert to a more shutdown rather than the intercept focused player. He's still got some great intercept marks, but he's also not afraid to just sink the fist in and uh, kill a contest. So a really nice pairing. They, they work together very well. But Miguel, a big task on their hands this week. Do you expect it'll just be Barras versus Cameron all day? And what role does McGovern play in quite a talented GWS forward line? But obviously he will have to come off his man 
and play a bit of an intercept role you'd suggest against Jeremy Cameron? Yeah, I think so. And he'll probably he'll get one of the lesser lights like a, a Himmelberg or someone probably. Uh, although Himmelberg has been a bit dangerous. Um, but Himmelberg, yeah, that's... by the way, very, very dangerous. Just uh, yeah. there's, a, there's a couple of guys on big footy that don't rate him, which is a shame because I think he is one of the, one of the true jets of the competition. But anyway. Yeah, and um, Finn Layson's another one who's down there a bit. He's, he's gone a bit quiet this year. But, so maybe, uh, maybe that's McGovern's matchup and maybe Rotham gets, um, gets Himmelberg. But yeah, that was my real reason for wanting Rotham to stay on the side when Duggan comes back is that I think we need those three guys to match up on the, the Cameron, Himmelberg, Finlayson combination. So, yeah, maybe Gov gets uh, gets Finlayson, who's possibly the least dangerous of them uh, on current form, and, yeah, can zone off a bit and uh, and help out Barras when uh, when the ball goes to Cameron. Cause they do they do look you know, as good as those other guys have been. They do go to Cameron a hell of a lot, so... Yeah, Barras is going to be uh, right in the uh, in the drop zone. Now, you discussed GWS having a lot to play for in this one, almost an elimination final for them, and certainly they've been copying it in the media. They've had a lot of time to sit and think, like you said. The Eagles not known for the fast starts, although we did have one last weekend, which perhaps bodes well. But the Giants and the Eagles, very similar in the way that they've had success this year, and that is uh, third quarters, fourth quarters, real second-half dominance. The, the Giants and the Eagles... Each have the most third quarter victories this season. The Giants are also top three in fourth quarter victories. So, Miguel, a fast start in this one is important. What do you put that down to? We saw a bit of a scrappy underdog swan side absolutely put them to the sword with nothing more than effort. Is it as simple as that for the Eagles or is it about denying them the footy and playing our game, really just limiting the chance that the Giants have to dispose of the ball? You know, how, how do you tackle this side that looks great on paper and, and if it clicks, they are very, very dangerous? Yeah, I think denying them the ball to start with, um, winning the territory battle, uh, making simultaneously with that, making sure that our backs don't get sucked too far up the ground and allow um, allow GWS to get over the back because, one, that's how we get a lot of the goals a lot of goals scored against us and, two, that's how they're getting a lot of their goals, you know, clearing out their forward 50 and... Um, yeah, just allowing the quicker guys, like Cameron's quite quick for his size and, and Green and that to run onto it. So I uh, need to be wary of that. But, yeah, just need to deny them the ball. And we can do that by, you know, Nick Nat winning the ruck, uh, which he should do, and our mids uh, successfully roving to him, not allowing uh, not allowing the Giants mids to sort of to read Nick Nat and, and rove to him. And, yeah, if we win the ball out of the middle that way and um, then go into playing our usual game, which is, you know, to maintain possession and... and um, Know, play the kick mark style of game and yeah, then just deny the Giants the opportunity to get their hands on the ball, then uh, we should get should get away to a decent start. It's time to put our necks on the line and make a call. I can only say it so many times, but this is a dangerous game just because ultimately you can't discount the number of good players that the Giants have. So let's have it, Miguel. Are the Eagles going to win? And if they are going to win, tell me by how much. And if they make it eight wins in a row, as we discussed up top, that's that's almost as good as a premiership right there, getting that eight-game streak. So, Miguel, is this the week that it happens? Will the Eagles do the business? Uh, they should do. Yeah, I was thinking just looking ahead, and you don't like to look ahead too much. but One game at a time, please. Yeah, well, that, that's all right for the team, but you know, us sitting in our ivory towers can uh, can do more than that. So I think, yeah, win this one, we're 9-3, and three, going to Queensland. Uh, the, of the five games that we've got over there, we should beat, really, on paper, North Melbourne and Essendon. Uh, so, and then if we can get one more win out of the other, Richmond Bulldogs and, who have I forgotten, St Kilda, win at least one of the three of those, that would make us 12-5 and five for the year. And 
with some of the ladder predictions I've seen floating around, 12 and 5 should get you a top four spot. So, yeah, win this one, and we're well on the way to that, I think. So, yeah, I'll pick us to win, and I will pick us by 26 because that's basically what you said with your uh, the averages earlier, 79 that we average and 53 that they average. So I'll say we'll win 79-53, and our best will be... I'll say Shuey because he's going to have to really step up in the absence of, of Yo and Redden. Absolute bastard. <laughs> you absolute... No, you're all right. Shuey can have a good game. That's fine. Somebody else will have a better game because I'll pick someone else. I'll come up with a reason. Just give me a sec. But yeah, I like the call. I like the call. The Eagles by 26. Uh, mine, less scientific than yours. More of a gut feel. Eagles by 19. We've seen this year that once a team gets on top, they can really blow it out and get up into those mid-30s, mid-40s score lines. But I just don't see it happening this week. As I said, two sides that close the game really well, two really good second half sides. So if we're down at halftime, don't you know, don't melt, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's every chance the Eagles come back. Similarly, though, if we're up at halftime, don't go uh, ordering the ordering the round town celebration just yet because the Giants close games very well. So we'll have to see what happens in this one. Eagles by 19 for me. I went with Jack Darling last week for best on ground. I felt a little bit vindicated by the fact that he had a nice game. Definitely not best on ground, but certainly building. So I will double down and I will say Jack Darling will have his best game of the year. Two goals won for him last week. He gave a few as well. He could have had a really big day. And do you know why he didn't? It's because he was saving it for this week. He was saving it for <laughs> the Giants. Also, he did a really good team thing in giving that little pass off to Reed to allow him to first career goal. So, yeah, he should have had, should have had at least a three-goal game, but for that. So, yeah, that's a, that's a good game. Well, that will do it from us this week. Another one in the books, Miguel. And like we said, the fixture are going to come thick and fast. Well, perhaps over the next couple of weeks, the podcasts and indeed live commentary will come thick and fast. Thanks for coming on this week. And uh, just a little thanks ahead of time for your, for your work in, in the coming weeks. No worries. So I'm glad to know I've been selected for, for a commentary gig. That's good. It's something I've been working towards. All you have to do is be able to... Just put your hand up, really. <laughs> I was going to say all you have to do is be better than BT, but I suppose that's as simple as putting your hand up. So, (laughs) yeah, nonetheless, nonetheless, yeah, Miguel, very much appreciated your time on the show this week. Very much appreciated to the guys who are listening to this one. The positive feedback is really nice as well. Great to hear. You can get in contact with us on Twitter, of course, on Bigfooty, Facebook as well, and we are on iTunes. We're also on Spotify. If you would like to hear some live Eagles commentary, perhaps of that Eagles-Richmond game, perhaps of another one of the hub games. But uh, if that's the sort of thing that sounds of interest to you, please let us know because this will absolutely sway our decision as to whether we go for it or not. We're, we're sort of leaning towards doing it at the minute, but if we know there's a, there's a bit of a keen market for it, we'll definitely get stuck in and call the game the right way. No bullshit catchphrases. We'll know all the players' names. We might even be really biased about the umpiring. Might even have a bit of a rant. So there you go. It could be uh, could be some good fun. So please let us know on that one through Twitter, through Facebook, through all the great channels if you would like to hear that. Otherwise, until next week, we will talk to you after the Giants game. We will be coming back next week to preview the Tigers game no matter what. Hopefully the Eagles get their eighth win in a row and hopefully we fare well Optus Stadium with a fantastic victory. Before the finals. That's the one. <laughs> yeah, before our home finals and home grand final. We will talk to you next week, guys. Thanks very much for listening. We'll see you then. Bye now. Bye.